This is the Hunt Quietly Podcast. I'm Matt Ranella. How you doing, Dustin? Good. How are you, Jim? I'm doing real good. I'm glad you can uh, you can come on the podcast. Hey, I I appreciate the invite. Always um, from one from one podcaster to another. I know how. Uh, I don't know. It's just relieving when you reach out to someone and they agree to come on the podcast because oh, it's I know a never ending. It's a never ending battle to get guests, and we're trying to do it more uh, real time. You know, the first year I was involved, we were doing a backlog and then, you know, you're releasing episodes there in the summertime and it's winter and it's just, it's just better to have a more real time guest. Yeah. And I know. It's, are, now, are you, you're on the East coast too, I think. Is that right? Yeah. I'm in Pennsylvania, Western Pennsylvania. Gotcha. So yeah, even, I mean, it's, it's, it's not late here, but it's, it's getting, it's my bedtime where you're at. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. I appreciate you pushing back for me. Yeah. You're in Utah? Uh, so I'm in Wyoming. Yeah. North, uh, Northwest Wyoming. So we're, we're same time zone as Utah, but. Oh, okay. I, uh, I, I spent a lot of years there in Southern Utah. That's where a lot of my stomping ground is, but. Gotcha. And you do the backcountry podcast? Yeah. Yep. Finding backcountry podcast. Finding um, backcountry podcast. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I started that. Um, man, 2018. And it's been, uh, I, what am I at? hundred about 125 or 130 episodes, some, which, you know, you can do the math. If I had been doing one a week, like I started, it'd be a lot more than that. But it, uh, you know, I've said this before. I, I just, I just started that as a purely selfish, you know, I just, I just realized I was having these conversations anyway. I wanted to be able to reach out to guys and, and kind of sneakily build my network up. And, uh, it's a lot easier to convince, you know, guys that really know what they're doing to talk to you for an hour about the stuff you love. If you say you have a podcast, right, right. (laughs) No doubt. Anyway. Yep. It's been, uh, it's been fun. I love it now. I wouldn't, you know, I've, I've taken some sabbaticals in, in the, throughout the deal, but otherwise I, I still just try to be consistent. Yeah. You almost have to, if you get a, 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 a base of listeners and then you're not putting episodes up and then you lose them. <laughs> yeah. Tell, tell us about yourself. You, you have a, another business too with uh backpack logistics. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I mean, I, I'm one of those guys that, uh, you know, I'm, I don't know. It's not, I don't think I have ADHD or anything, but I just, I'm just constantly like trying the next thing or something new or, you know, hey, let's. You know, I I just have a lot of irons in the fire, so to speak, and and they're all generally related, I think. But yeah, the so the backpack logistics, and it'll get a little confusing here. But the backpack logistics is um, it's it's kind of what's behind me here. I don't know if you, yeah, you know, the audience won't see, but just just a bunch of uh, backpack food, and um, you know that that one started as you know, it's, it's basically a side hustle at the moment, but kind of taken off and it's, um, you know, think of your backpack trips, right. Um, if you've gone on any out West, especially, and, you know, and I don't know what you're, what you do for food or whatever, but I can imagine coming from like 
Pennsylvania out and you're flying, that's even more, you know? And so anyway, like I, I was going through this in my head and, you know, you picture that, that process of the backpack food. And so you, you pull out, maybe it's spring bear, you pull out your food bin from last year and there's trail mix, you know, economy size trail mix that's spilt everywhere in yeah. the off season. There's moldy jerky, there's crusty stuff, there's expired stuff. And it was just a mess, you know, and, and I'm like, there's gotta be a better way. And, and to be honest, I, I work at a place, um, that kind of specializes in, in packaging stuff up for guys. And they'll, and I realized that people will pay for, you know, things to come to them with a red bow on it and ready to, ready to roll. Right. And so I just kind of like had that idea of like, man, there's gotta be a way I can do this. And so, yeah, Backpack Logistics is, it's basically a website experience where you can go on and not just order backpack food and have it delivered, but you build out your entire day's worth of food. It not only lets you build an entire day, which is kind of unique, and that's how it shows up, but as you're building it, you can see the important stuff that, you know, we all need to know our calories that we're putting in for the day and make sure we're not you know, putting in 1700 calories, we need probably more like 3,700 calories or whatever. It'll show your macros, right? Your fats and proteins and carbs. And then maybe most importantly, it'll give you your weight and your, you know, your weight per calories, as well as just the overall weight. And so anyway, you, 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 you see it when you buy it and you know what you're getting. Um, And then it, and then almost more importantly, it shows up buttoned up, we, we put all your, pull all your stuff in one gallon bags, we seal them. And so you get a box that shows up with, you know, whatever, three, five, seven, 10 days worth of meals for the whole day, ready to roll. So, and obviously you, you know, that takes a lot of experience to figure out the calories you're burning, the calories you need, you know, sheep hunts can require different caloric intake than, you know, an antelope hunt in when you're in, in the truck. So yeah, I, I know that, uh, you know, you got to put some science behind it. Yeah, you know, and, and we tried to make the experience, the the process online, keep you from getting in too much trouble. Um, you know, in other words, it it's really, there's a, there's a pretty strict outline. You're going to put a breakfast item, you're going to put a lunch item, you're going to put a dinner item, right? The dinner items aren't don't have snickers they have freeze-dried meals like you would need to eat for a dinner to re you know all your sodiums and all your obviously your calories and stuff need to be up and then there's snacks there's like four snacks one two three up to four that you know if you just kind of follow that um that template and add you know at least three or four of the snacks like you're going to hit that 25 to 35, sometimes a little higher, depending on exactly what items, but it'd be really hard to get yourself into too much trouble if you just follow the template with, especially with the items that we've put on there. Cause again, I, you know, we've been doing this a long time and we obviously don't have every piece of backpack food that everyone has or wants or loves, but we have almost all the cat categories, right? I have a jerky, I have a trail mix. I have, you know, protein bar, I have chewy energy chews, you know, and so on and so forth. Um, and so that's going to get you kind of your base uh, foundation there for the day. And then you've even got the extras like, you know, drink mixes, energy drink mixes and, you know, rehydration type stuff, coffee for the guys that like that or whatever. So are these all your own, own brands? 
No, no. Okay. In fact, none of them are yet. Um, you know, there there may be a time where we where we private label our own stuff, but no. This is in fact everything's pre-packaged, pre-labeled. Peak refuels are big one on the freeze dries right now, just because I did I did a lot of market research because I don't care, right? But yeah. it was like it was like ninety per eighty percent peak refuel, so that's what we carry, and and gonna add some more, but. No, it's all brands like that, you know, yeah. Probar and, uh, you know, even crazy stuff, right? Snickers and I have my energy drink review thing. And and so we put, we even did a silly, you know, put a 10 ounce white monster option. on there. Yeah. I, I saw your Instagram where you're, you're doing a lot of energy drinks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you ought to, you ought to get in touch with Larry Bartlett. He, he's, he's got some companies and one of the things he's working on is, uh, his new company is De Minimis. Um, it's like a backcountry powder and specifically for, you know, going in light and getting the caloric intake that you need. But yeah, that's cool, man. Yeah. I mean, uh, not to make it, you know, any sort of sales pitch. It's just a convenience thing, honestly. Like guys, you know, and it, it tells me it's working because guys, you know, we have all the repeats, right? Like yeah, we've done it two years now and it's just gotten bigger and bigger each year and a lot of repeats so you can tell it's working and guys are you know again it's not for everybody that i wouldn't it wouldn't be a service that i would have used 15 years ago i was broke i loved you know i I didn't have anything else going on in life i kind of liked that process of you know the week before a big backpack hunt like but you know now i might be a lot more inclined to use that because frick man i'm busy we're about to have a kid like you know, so everybody's in a different place and, and it's, it's a cool service if it's a cool service. So. Yeah. And it, if you, if you don't think about that and somebody else does, that's been there and done that, it's a convenience factor, especially for guys like myself that, you know, are coming out, getting on a plane, you're not going to pack a bunch of food, you know? Yeah. Could he easily have it drop ship somewhere for you or held at a post office or something? And do you, do you do anything with llamas or was that just, uh, yeah, so that's that's again where it gets, you know, we have all these little irons. We we did the llama thing long before it uh so that's backcountry logistics. And that that's where we kind of started and we geez, I don't even know, Jim. It's been probably, I don't know, almost a decade, maybe not quite, eight, seven, eight, nine years or something where we we first rented them like everybody does, right? And then we fell in love and we've kind of you know, my brother and dad and I, like we've, we've got the, you know, not the agricultural, but like the, we've got a few acres and fields and stuff that we had access to. So, you know, that started at, we got our, our first couple packers and then we started renting them and then we got three more and then we got six more and then we got, right. you know, a bunch of females and we started breeding them, just kind of our nature. And anyway, so yeah, pack, pack llamas, that's a whole nother deal. And love to talk about pack llamas always too, but it's now we we don't even rent them anymore. We've actually transitioned just to a big herd of females um, that are bred, and we you know we either sell the uh, the babies, which are called creas, or or keep them for a few years and then run them ourselves and then sell them like that or whatever. But yeah, super versatile, super versatile animals for guys that are. You got to talk to Matt. He he's yeah. he's the llama guy. Yep. Yep, I've seen him using them. They're they're just, you know, I and I have horses. I've got a field of horses out back and I've hunted I hunt off of them. I've hunted off them my whole life and and they for sure have their place, especially, you know, the the I got back into horses when I moved here to Wyoming because it's such big country. Like, 
you know, and, and it might and not just big country, but you might hit a, a trailhead to go into where you need to get. And it's, it might be 15 miles. Some of these trails are 15 miles of just, you know, nothing. And then you got to climb up out of the, out of the Canyon to get to where you're going to go. Um, yeah. and you're hunting elk and you've got a bull down, you know, and it's like, it's just horse country, um, a lot of it. And so that's kind of gotten me back into horses, but llamas are, man, if you got the right hunt and the right setup and you're hunting it the certain way, like just super, super versatile, super low maintenance. Like they're, they're awesome for a reason. Yeah. Matt, um, just shares like how, how you break them in and, and how, how good they are to have out in, in the bush, you know, just heavy loads and yeah, it's the, I mean, it's the Achilles heel of the horse, right. Is the, is the, the time and the babysitting that you have to do someone, right. Either, either you're pulling two to four hours out of each day to, to take care of them or you're losing sleep and doing it at night. Right. They've usually got to be grazed. They've got to get to water every day. Um, you know, it's nice to ride them in and stuff like that, but they are big critters that take a lot of maintenance you know, in the long, and, and then there's the pack goats, right? We almost went down the pack goat train and, uh, you know, that they just were a little, you know, the juice on them wasn't quite worth the squeeze. It didn't seem like they were a little more prone to the weather and they, you know, they're a little more needy with how they've got to stay with you a lot of times. You know, I, in fact, I just hunted with a couple guys that have them and they were great. Like you'd leave camp and one of them was super like, you know, bellowing the whole time and you could just hear him down there. Like, you know, <laughs> it's just, it, it just didn't, you know, it, again, great, but not right. And so that's where the llamas are just like right in between. You don't get to ride them, but they're, they're not definitely not going to bellow when you leave camp. They don't even really love you. Um, <laughs> kind of <laughs> like Henri cats. And so, but yeah, you, you stake them out. They don't, you know, they don't get tangled. They're, they're camel family. Um, so they're, two, three days without water. There's just a lot of things like about them. So. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Well, I, I heard you first. I, I discovered you on the Epic Outdoor podcast and um, you guys were talking about Muley's Matter. And I guess you, you were involved in that, right? Yeah. The backpack business. I, I, I mean, I, I had to have been one of the first ones as soon as I heard it. I, uh, you know, I don't have much to offer because it's just a little, a little deal, um, and not, not my living obviously, but I was like, man, here's, I want to do whatever. So I just, I just gave them like five of those days worth of food. It's like, that'd be like 200, $250 value or whatever, but it, anything I could think of to support uh, that's that awesome. kind of a movement. And for, for people out there listening, Muley's Matters was a, basically a fundraiser for, mule deer hunters not punching their tag just on any buck just basically an incentive to let bucks walk and uh they gave away a lot of stuff man a lot of stuff man you want yeah you want to talk about something like catching wildfire like wildfire i mean it it just it kind of just started organically on one of their podcasts and before they knew it they had tens of thousands of dollars of gear and donations and cash and just I mean, you could tell right off that, you know, it, it told me a couple things. A, um, mule deer are in a situation right now. 
uh, not just over the last, the, you know, the last winter was its own deal, but even coming into that, a lot of the West has been on the decline for years, yeah. right? We've been hearing this. And then two, which was really nice is like, people are willing to do stuff to help. Like, you know, and it's, it's sometimes really hard to know exactly where to put your dollars and where to, what memberships to have and not have. And, you know, I, I know how hard that is because it's hard for me and, and I feel like I'm as in it as anybody. And, but this was an obvious one and man, it just showed you that people are like, people are good and they want to do something and help the situation. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's incentivizing folks like myself that travel out West to be like, Hey man, I don't need a forky. I don't need to kill a forky just to kill a forky. Now, you know, there's a lot at stake when you're traveling from east to west. You know, you got travel expenses, cost of non-resident tags. It's 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 not cheap, but it helps if you know that hey, if I don't punch this tag, I could go into this drawing and win some money, win some prizes. They even gave away some hunts, I believe. Yeah, lion hunts, yep. Yeah. So no, that's 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 cool. But the thing about that is, and I'm glad they're doing it, man. I, I mean, we did a, a a mule deer series, a podcast, just talking about how dire the situation is. But the thing that that jumped out at me about you on that podcast was how outspoken you were about the industry not doing enough. And I, it was honestly refreshing. I'm like, finally, somebody out there is is saying what we all at Hunt Quietly have been thinking. Like, what the hell is industry doing to help mule deer conservation, anything in general? Yeah. Well, <laughs> here's the dirty truth, right? They don't, they don't, m- most, most of them don't care, right? And if they do, even if, I hate to say this, you know, and I, and I don't, I don't know, you know, the number or the percentage or the ones that are honest in their heart or the ones that aren't, but like, you know, even the one you get the feeling that even some of the ones that do act like they care, they're almost just doing it for the, you know, the virtue signaling of it, I think. Right. right. And, and whatever, right. A good thing for the wrong reason. I guess it's still a good thing. Um, yeah, li- listen, the, the whole muleys matter thing, like it, and I'll bring this, I'll try to bring this full circle in my head, like it made you and I really think about, wait, why do I need to kill a deer? Like why, you know, and, and let, let's let's back up and, <laughs> and let's establish a couple things here. Mule deer are very, it's, they're in their own situation, right? In, in other words, elk, for example, Elk are bursting at the seams across the West. Like they do extremely well. Winners, you can't kill an elk from a winner, right? Like they're they're bigger, they're badder, they'll get to the better feet in the yeah. summer. Like they are monsters and they are doing extremely well. So these thoughts that I have and these kind of ideals, like they don't necessarily apply to elk, right? Like like that's a great place, for example, to go do your meat hunting, right? Whether it's a bull or just a cow tag, yeah. like tip one over, man, like send a bomb on a mom cow elk, right? Like that's, it's a very good place right now to go get your fix for whatever trigger time. If that's what you want, uh, you've never shot something you're trying to get your feet wet or you just want to put more meat in the freezer, whatever mule deer are somewhere between that and like the the fragileness of a desert sheep right like 
And we all know the, the, the situation sheep are in. I mean, heck they overnight, they about, they'll all a whole herd will die. Right. And we're just like, Oh, freaking sheep. Like, you know, mule deer aren't that fragile. It doesn't seem, but, but they're just constantly just on this steady downhill slide. And it's not, you know, it's a big snowball now and it's catching and one winter and then it gets worse. And, you know, and whatever, right. We can talk about all the reasons that we think why that's happening later. But so I think that we need to perceive them differently because they're not elk that aren't bursting at the seams. Right. And so that, you know, that muleys matter, it made us really contemplate why do I need to kill this deer? Right. And, and I'll, I'll be the first to say this to me doesn't apply to youth hunters like i was a youth and guess what i was going to shoot you know it was like i was going to shoot the first legal buck my first year and i think that was exactly what that's exactly what every kid should do a new hunter right if this is just your first like hey this is my first deal and like i want to go get a deer tag and see what this is all about like i i not only can like i think that you should shoot the first legal deer in fact i think too many guys listen to guys that are, you know, not me, I'm not that guy yet, but like guys that are on my podcast, the Carters and the Bronsons that you had on and, and they see the Instagram reels and they, they get too big of an idea in their head. They think that if they don't kill a 190 inch deer, that they're a loser. And that that's just what their goal is going to be on their very first meal deer hunt in the West. Right. That's unrealistic. Very and unrealistic. Really, you're, you're shortchanging yourself. Right. So it doesn't apply to everybody, but somewhere in the middle of all that, there's a percentage and it might be 10, it might be 70. I don't know. I know that I've, I'm that guy right now where it's like, I, I had multiple experiences where I went out and was looking down my scope at a buck on the last day of a five day hunt in New Mexico, for example, this is my, my most infamous, like my worst moment ever. And I'm in this unit that was supposed to be epic. It was horrible. Uh, the winter, you know, the, the winter didn't move in. So the bucks didn't move in and there was, we couldn't find a deer like, and, and so the four and a half, it was a five day hunt in New Mexico. The, the like 10 o'clock on the lat on the fifth day, there's this little buck that had no business dying to my bullet. Right. I've shot at that point, even then I had shot, you know, not dozens, but I've shot double digit mule deer. And some decent bucks, right? Some 170, like a 180 buck maybe or whatever. And I I tipped him over. And all of a sudden, I got sick in my stomach. And it hit me. And it was like, why, why did I do that? And I came to the realization real quick that it was an insecurity. It was, it had nothing to do with meat. It had nothing to do with, right? It was just, I was worried about what my friends were going to think, or I was worried about not having something to post on Instagram or, you know, or whatever, all these wrong reasons. And that's what I think. That's what I think that movement was, was directed towards is the, is me, that guy. And, and so maybe you just don't. Right. And I, I'm, I'm over that now. Like I've, I've crested that hump in my life and like, I haven't filled a tag in three years now. And I could have shot 160, 70 inch buck every single year, not bragging, just that's, that's the honest truth, right? I've done this long enough. And so 
anyway, it, and it feels good to, to be doing it for the right reasons or whatever. And so that, that was the beauty of that movement is it just, it made us all ask ourselves why. So now if we, if we bring the companies, <laughs> if we bring companies into this right now, how does that, how does that affect or why does that matter? Well, they, they're the big boys in the, in the hunting world. They're the ones that have the money to push the, the, you know, the media, the videos, the hunts that we all love to watch, um, you know, to, to outfit the influencers, right? This is where they're getting their paychecks from. Okay. And so what, what on earth could go wrong with that? Well, they, all they care about, I'm here to tell you, like, they care about selling product. Okay. Yes. Yep. And they'll do it at the expense of a meal deer. Trust me. They don't, they really don't care. Most of them or some of them or whatever. Again, I'm, I'm not pointing the finger at the whole room here. Um, but I just know that a lot of them, that, and I know that because they'll, they'll push agendas or they'll finance influencers. Okay. They, they can tell me or you till they're blue in the face that it's not true, but if they're financing an influencer who then goes out and pushes the agenda that, you know, it's okay to shoot anything every year. Well, is it? Cause if all of us had that mentality and we all got good enough at hunting and we all shot something every year, that's the end of hunting yeah. <laughs> or that's the end of your draws, right? You would never, ever, ever draw a tag because everyone would go a hundred percent because we wouldn't care about holding out for a buck that we know that we could probably, or should probably be looking for, you know, or the most mature buck on the mountain kind of thing, or, a, a, you know, whatever, whatever the, wherever the puzzle piece fits there, um, we would just be shooting a buck to shoot a buck, right? And that's that's almost the way that the influencers are going because guess what? They want people watching their stuff, okay? They only get money when they have eyeballs on their content, okay? And guess what's not exciting for people to watch content of? Not killing anything because you've, you've eaten your tag for six years like I have. Okay? Exactly. There's no story there, right? It's, there, there can be, and the guys who are good at it, excuse my language, but they're damn good at it. Like the Donnie Vincents and, you know, Nate Simmons, Western Hunter. These are guys just off the top of my head that like they have content that is just as entertaining when they kill something or not. They do a very good job of telling this story, but most influencers, they are cheap. They just are pumping out you know, they're doing their own editing or they don't have a team and that's not their fault. But so, you know, you can well, kind of see the, the vibe here, right? Like this, the success of an influencer is based on how many kills they have, how many animals they could put in front of their viewers to sell products. And right. like, like, for example, we, we did a, we did a short podcast on Sitka who paid a surfer influencer to go on an elk hunt and they went to some high end ranch and he shoots, you know, his first elk shoots a three fifty bull. And, you know, just the cost for them to hunt there is we estimated about 21,000. Now, granted we're working for hunters for access. We're doing a fundraiser this, this winter to try to raise money for landowners who open up their land specifically for, for the public to access. And they donated a thousand dollars. So kudos to Sitka for 
for stepping up and donating $1,000 in gear. But boy, would it sure be nice for them to donate $21,000 instead <laughs> of paying for an influencer to go shoot an elk so he could reach all the surfer, influ- uh, all the surfer followers that may or may not want to come into hunting and, and buy their gear. So we're hoping that, man, if we keep talking about this and the industry sees that you, the resource is limited and you can't keep pounding it and pounding it and pounding it and expect to attract more hunters when they're going out, they can't get tags. They, they can't find animals. Public land is crowded. So it's just a wicked uh, cycle. Another angle that I've thought about this, right? Because, because again, like just, just the statistical angle of being able, like you said, being able to get tags and stuff. Right. And, and, you know, you have this conundrum because the state needs money in order to get money. They have to issue tags, you know, and then, but then if, if the success rates are too high, then they can't issue as many tags. And so it's this, it's this nasty little Bermuda triangle or whatever, where it's like, you know, nobody can satisfy every, you know, they can't satisfy everything, Yeah, but the only, the only logical, like the only, cause, cause they're going to issue their tags, but the only one that we can control is whether we pull the trigger or not. Right. Right. Period. Right. And so that, that's like, you know, it, it kind of happened the same time that Muley's matter movement happened, but I was like, Oh my gosh, you know, the, 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 the swear word in the hunting world is trophy hunting, but, but it's because people don't understand when I think of trophy hunting, it means if I have, you know, whatever my average is, if I have five deer tags over five years right now, I'm one for five. Yeah. That to me is trophy hunting, right? I don't give a rip really like what it scores, right? In fact, uh, you know, 170 inch, six and a half year old deer is a lot more impressive to me than, you know, a 200 inch, three and a half year old deer, because they're just on a different level of how hard it was to kill them. Um, so anyway, you know, it, it just, it's the only way that I realized to, to, to keep everyone happy because if, if everyone was that type of trophy, quote unquote, trophy hunter, um, again, you know, the, the anti-hunting world will get a hold of that. And they'll think that that means that we just do this, uh, for the, you know, the kill and, and to put the rack on the wall, obviously we eat the meat, obviously, you know, we, we help with conservation, you know, obviously we, we do it to bring our kids into it and all the great reasons that we hunt and get out in the hills and stuff. But if we were just more selective, right, maybe it should be called selective hunting. Um, and, and, you know, and, and maybe instead of, you know, there, there's guys in this, in this hunting game that we do that are literally, um, you know, they're put on, on a pedestal. They're, they're, um, you know, they're crowned, you know, the mule deer Kings or whatever, because they kill a deer every hunt or every year, maybe we should make not killing deer cool. You know, hey, look at the footage that I got of this 170 and I didn't pull the trigger. Maybe those guys should be um, exalted a little bit more than they are because make that cool again, right? Being able to pass on deer. Man, that 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 would be awesome if the hunting content were strictly about the animal versus the kill and and guys were stepping up and and not driven by ego and money. I mean, like you said, it's, it's, it's about money 
And would I love to be able to hunt for a living? Of course I would. But, you know, you'd have to fall into that trap of producing content, producing grip and grins, producing numerous kills. And yeah. it's just not helping matters. So, yeah, you know, I mean. And, 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 and if this, <laughs> you know, I, I'm a realist, like maybe if this was back in the quote unquote heydays, right? Like the, you know, I'm thinking Colorado early two thousands and you hear about the eighties and the sixties, right. When there's so many deer and all the big, but like, maybe if we get back to that, right. In other words, like if deer get back to where elk are right now, like maybe, maybe that kind of stuff is a little bit more. Okay. Right. Maybe it is okay. Um, but, but I know for sure right now, the deer herds cannot sustain it and they can't handle it. Like, you know, and, and hopefully we have some mild winters and, you know, we get some spring, summer moisture, you know, and all the things, right. Um, you know, everybody talks about what, so, so it's like, well, what is the answer, you know, and, and, and habitat gets brought up. And that one's always weird for me because it's like, I, I think of a state like Wyoming, right. Mule deer herd right now is decimated. There hasn't been like, we haven't destroyed habitat habitats only gotten better with all the projects and the the science and the radio color studies and the things that we've learned in the last decade let's say like the habitat in wyoming's only gotten better and yet yeah. that's that's almost like the scapegoat now of like well what can we you know what can we all do well you know we need improve habitat well it's not like we're you know, it's not like we're out there, like, air, like we're not taking fences down around highways and stuff. We're not, again, we're not plowing under winter ground or whatever in a state like Wyoming. Now there are plenty of, you know, park city or wherever, right. Or, or probably places outside of Denver, Colorado and all those ski towns and stuff where they just continue to build over good habitat. But in general, right. Let's just take Wyoming as, is a very good case study for this habitat word because guess what? No one's moved to Wyoming. We, we don't have this record growth or anything, even through the COVID boom or whatever. Yeah. And, and so habitat has only gotten better in theory in Wyoming. We've only done more. And yet the mule deer herd's never been worse. So I, I struggle with that habitat one, right? Like show me where the habitat's gotten so bad or worse that, you know, that that's the answer. Obvi obviously it's a, it's a, it's a slice, slice of the pie. Right. And it needs to be there. And we're, but I feel like we're, you know, collectively, you know, there's a lot of good States. There's States that need to probably do more with their highways and stuff like that. But anyway, it just, it's hard to know what the answers are, but again, the only one that, that Dustin can control is like, you know, am I just going to tip a buck over to tip a buck over this next year or not? Right. Like that to me is a pretty, and I can donate my money and my time to help and stuff like that, but boots on the ground, like when push comes to shove, that was just a really, really good movement on Muley's matter part. Cause it made me think like that. What, what do you think that it's going to take for the top influencers or the, the companies that have the most pull to change their thought process about how they approach marketing and how they approach advertising and change this because it seems like it's an uphill battle. 
just a decision. Like the good news right now is if someone would just do it, if someone, you know, and again, I, I'm probably, I'm probably skipping, you know, a couple, I I'm probably missing some in my head that are, that are really good at voicing their opinions, you know, in this way, but you know, I can't think of any great ones off the top of my head, but like, if someone would just come out and be the first, like they would gain all the traction, right? <laughs> like, yeah. You know, if someone would just say, Hey, like we actually pay influencers, you know, who don't kill, you know, something every year or, or whatever, you know, however they, uh-huh. you know, marketers, creative marketers are a lot better than me or whatever. You could, you could flip that so quick and so easily like, Hey, I know that we sell a product, whether it's a boot that helps you stay in the, in the field longer or your camo, you know, layering systems or a rifle, right. Or, or yeah. a weapon or a scope or bullets or whatever the heck it is you know, Hey, we know that we sell products to, to increase your chance of killing stuff. And yet here we are because we understand that, you know, if we don't have these resources, we don't have a product to sell anyway, or something like that message, right. That would be really attention getting. And that's what the irony is. That's what marketers want. They want people's attention and that kind of shock and awe factor. Now you have to mean it, right? Like you can't say that and then write a $40,000 check to someone to wear your boots um, that's, you know, on film, every single hunt shooting something, you know, that doesn't work, but you, you get what I'm saying. Like, totally. you you hit the nail on the head. It's like, eventually we're not at the tipping point, but eventually it's like, if, if I'm entering hunting right now, if I'm a, a, a new hunter and I travel out West and all I see is orange and no game, I don't know how many times I'm going to repeat that experience i'm gonna probably be like what the hell did i just spend my money on yeah you know and listen like again i i really i really try to see these things from all the angles right yeah have you had robbie denning on yet or talked to him uh he's the he's a rock slide he'd be an epic one just awesome just awesome i mean he's a mule deer nutty literally wrote the book a book on it um anyway you know he he has you know he has a mentality that I've kind of, I kind of butted heads with at first. He's been on my podcast quite a few times. You can go back and listen to the conversation. I, but I know the name. I know the name for sure. Yeah. Really good one. Uh, part owner, or at least helps run uh rock slide, the, the rock slide forum. And stuff yeah. Like okay. Anyway, he, you know, just to use him as an example, because, because I, frankly, I think I was wrong and, and he changed my mind, but he had this mentality that, um, or, or this idea that like, Hey, you know, be, because my knee jerk reaction when, when this kind of down, you know, whenever this all started was um, let's limit tags. Right. Cause like you said, it, it sucks going out and seeing people and it does. Um, but, but he was very, you know, he said, Hey, you know, at some point you're going to have to swallow the pill that other people need to be out there, you know, to, Hey, to keep people interested in hunting, to keep the sales of tags up and all that kind of stuff. Right. And so it, it's tough because nobody wants, you know, this is the, the cliche, like nobody wants people in their hunting spot, but everyone else, you know, we all want people to carry their weight and be a part of hunting and, and pay for the hunting license and, you know, and, and whatever, right. They come out to the town and support your local grocery store when you buy your backpack food there or whatever, right, you know, right. we, we all, like we're, I hope we're not dumb like we all understand that we have to have hunters on the mountain and draw on the tags 
um, but we don't like seeing them in our in our place or whatever. So, you know, I, I don't know what the answer is to that. Um, but but like you said, I mean, you know, one thing we do know is like a lot of hunters on the mountain with a good amount of of, of animals is different than a lot of hunters with nothing to see. <laughs> so, you know, whatever all that means. But anyway, I was listening to a podcast where they were talking about R3 and attracting as many hunters. And one guy said, I I wish right now the United States is about 5% of the population hunts. And he said, I wish 25% of the population hunted. And I'm doing the math. And if, if you do those numbers, it's like if 25% of the population, you could forget it. I mean, there wouldn't be any hunting after three years. Well, here, here, here's, here's an angle on this, Jim. So I, Utah, I spent a lot of time in Utah. I didn't grow up there, but I, you know, we're next, I was next door in Nevada and, and I did live there for almost a decade, probably. Utah has this crazy hunting culture where, you know, it's not just, you know, like you hunt, it's like, it's their family reunion for the year. Okay. And so they get, like, I listen on some of their, they call them rack regional advisory councils. It's, yeah. it's, it's kind of bogus because it doesn't mean anything per se. It's not like anybody gets an actual vote, but it's, it's a place for the public to air out their grievances or, or voice their opinion on, on all these matters week to month or whatever it is. And, you know, a lot of guys would get up when, when they were discussing the, the status of the mule deer in, in Utah and stuff. And they would, they, they would say or manifest the, the Utah culture um, in their comments. In other words, they'd say, listen, you know, because it was crazy. Like you, you had, you know, the, the, for those that aren't following Utah or whatever, they're they basically debating like, what do we do, right? What do we do? They're having this conversation. What do we do? And, you know, 50% of the room was probably a little more on the side. I would be on where it was like, we need to limit tags. We need to, you know, maybe, you know, I, I'm all for weapon restrictions and stuff like that, that just lowers the success rate. If we're not going to control ourselves, right. Yeah. We're not going to control ourselves and we have to do something. But then these other 50%, they would literally get up and say, yeah, I swear to you, if you take away my family deer hunt, where I expect us to all be there and everyone gets a tag. And that's what caught my attention was, you know, I'm fine. I grew up that way where we would all go out for the weekend deer hunt. Right. Yeah. But in Nevada, a much more limited resource, even in its heyday, and you would draw a tag every one to three years or whatever. Right. And so, you know, to, to tie in like the kind of the Robbie thing, like I'm all for everybody getting tags, but why can't, you know, why can't you have years where you just go out and you don't have a tag and you're not hunting, right? And you're just there for the, you know, the, we did a lot of those growing up where, hey, grandpa didn't, you know, and it wasn't me at that time because I was a youth hunter and they gave a little preference to youth, which sure. I'm all for as well, right? Um, but like grandpa came out or I don't even, you know, my dad probably had a tag once every three or four or five years or whatever, right? And that was just what we expected growing up down there. Um, these guys up in Idaho and here in Wyoming and Montana, like they think you're crazy when you talk like that because they can get away with it. Right. In other words, you can basically give over the counter tags to the residents, at least still in these states where bucks have big, big country to hide in. 
and and deer will make it through, right? Even big bucks will make it through. I mean, heck, that, that buck that showed up here on the winter range in Wyoming uh, two years ago, the king, right? They named him, and he was yeah. all over Instagram. Where the f did he come from, right? Well, like that's my point: is these places hide bucks, and they can still get away. You could basically un- issue, in my opinion, in these regions, over the counter unlimited tags. And aside from having a crap experience, the deer herd isn't going to like take a as you know as big of a hit as it. If you gave out unlimited over-the-counter tags in Nevada, one year they'd be it'd be done, it'd right? Be done, so right. It, it matters. And but anyway, I'm just you know I, I want guys to have tags. I think we need to be realistic. Like we need to be willing to try different things. Uh, there's just there's a, it's a it's it's a wonderful conversation, man. Like just the, the whole thing and. You know, anyway, you brought up a a point too that, that we've talked about is that the agencies, they're balancing making money to support what they do and the work that they do. And then there's that fine line of, they want to sell tags, but they have to somewhat in these areas that we're talking about, restrict the success rate of hunters. So it's a balancing act, but taking this full circle, if, if the state agencies and the game managers would start speaking up or speaking to the industry that, Hey, we need more support. We need more funds and we can't keep getting it from tag sales. It has to come from somewhere else because we, these people aren't having a good experience. The resource just isn't there to keep giving tags. So we need it elsewhere. So I would love to see state agencies and game managers speaking up to industry and, and sort of get the ball rolling on, on their end. Yeah. Some, some sort of like, you know, again, you you don't want to, you don't want to like some sort of incentive for, for companies to, you know, put their dollars into, in, you know, instead of injecting it, like you said, into an influencer, you know, injected into a, a gate game or a fish agency or whatever, where it's going to go directly in and, and have that carry the same weight for selling their products. Right. Again, that's, that's their, you know, and, and you can't necessarily blame them again. I, I think you can get creative and just do it yourself as a, as a company, like we talked, but but yeah, that that is it would just cut out the middleman, so to speak, and it would inject it right into your vein, right? Like right into the mule deer vein of like, hey, you know, this company wrote a fifty thousand dollar check that would have went to some stupid influencer, like that right there would make waves of attention, you know, or something, but big time. And I'll I'll take it. Like I've told this story before, but I, I drew a, a Colorado mule deer tag in twenty twenty one and it was a good unit. It took us 10 years to draw. And um, it was one of the units that Jason Carter drew. So I talked to him about it and we went there. We just didn't see the deer. We didn't see the 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 number of deer. We didn't see the trophy potential that this unit previously had, but we did see a ton of resident doe hunters, over-the-counter elk hunters. And I'm thinking to myself, like, what the F? Like, this is crazy. It took me 10 years to draw this tag and literally uh, was pulling up on a nice mule deer buck. And it was the first day. 
And my buddy's like, are you shooting? And I'm like, dude, look at this deer. I'm shooting. It was like, to me, um, one of those bucks. And over the hill on this side-by-side, a bunch of guys pull up. They get out. They're talking. And this deer spooks. I didn't get a shot at him. And then we see him. They're like, ah, oh, did you guys see those elk come through? We're like, no, we didn't see him. Jeez. And they're, they're, they're basically cow elk hunting. <laughs> and good, good for them. Right. But like, yeah, man, yeah. right in the, right in the Utah's infamous for this too. While I'm bashing them, like they have these spike elk hunts that are literally right in the middle of these hunts, these premium elk hunts that are even, you know, uh, twice as many points almost three times as many points as your Colorado tag. Like, can you imagine having 25 points and saving up for this like basically once in a lifetime? Yeah. And you've got the mountainside crawling with over the counter spike. There just has to be a better way to generate income or revenue for, for the state agencies. There just has to be a better way. And one way would be, you know, put your cow hunts in the winter or what, you know, like it, put your, you know, the whole spike hunt is another conversation, whether they even need it or not, but like, you know, put it on, you know, in a week where, and, and they have the reasons, right. They're like, Hey, we have to, if we bunch them all here and then give them 10 days off, you know, the elk will redisperse into the the whole unit where the next group has a chance of actually seeing them instead of them just all being on private or what, you know, they have their reasons, but yeah, you, you've got a question, you know, like, what do you, what do you do? Right. Like some of those hunts there, that's all they're like, they have a hunt going between all of them. Right. And it's like, I don't know. So yeah. Tough. Yeah. So we just have to wait for that first company to step up and say, Hey, we're donating a big check to an influencer for not shooting. Yeah. Yeah. We, we give them their paycheck at the end of the season and the, based on the, you know, the number of 180 bucks that they didn't shoot. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I, I would win. The, well, I can't find a 180 buck or I'd probably shoot it, but if it was 160 bucks, I would win that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know, man. I, it's, it's a uphill battle and you know, you think about all this stuff that we're trying to do and, and trying to get people to think about. And there's a lot of people that think about the the topics that we're talking about. We we've had just a, a plethora of people reach out and share our sentiment about some of these things and it's refreshing and it keeps you going, but it is, it is, um, it is tiresome sometimes. Well, you know, and, and, and what, so what can you do if you're an individual, right? Like, you know, I, I have a lot of friends that are quote unquote influencers, really good friends. Right. And, and frankly, I was one of those guys when I first got into this mess, right? Like, I mean, when we first started this and got a little following on Instagram, whatever, like, man, we were a complete horror for a 40% off discount code, right. Or whatever, yeah. you know, to be a pro staff or whatever you want to call it. That was, you know, it was just dumb anyway. But um, so I, so I get it, right? Like I, I've, I've been there. I, I do. I have, you know, some of these people have literally, they're now making their entire living doing this, right? So, you know, I, I get that. Like, there's, there could be a lot at stake or whatever. But the only way that an individual is going to affect any of this, just individually, is not consuming their content. 
you know, I, I look, I'm, I'm watching and show trade show seasons, right? We're right in the middle of it. And there's all these companies that are, or, or influencers specifically. I have my movie premiere night at the Western Hunt Expo or whatever, right? Like, you know, and, and they will sell out. They will sell out or they put up another video of shooting a, you know, it, it, it's hard because like what you don't know you know, before you click on a video, most of the time, like what's about to happen, but like, you know, every, every view on those videos or every like on their Instagram post, that's equity to them. Yeah. You're giving them power. Like it's like Thanos getting another freaking stone. Like you're just <laughs> giving them more. That's what feeds the fire. Right. And fuels it is every time you consume like pass on whatever promote or whatever, any sort of consumption of their content, like, and, and whatever, right. You could call me selfish and say, Hey, like he's just trying to get us to watch his cause he's, you know, some purist or whatever, but like, yeah, frankly, I am now, I don't have a sponsor on my podcast. I don't, you know, I've started this, uh, you know, we're, we're about to, it's not quite launched yet, but it's called the hunting. Right. And it's not, it's just a, it's just a website so that I can put up free, valuable, unbiased, right? Unbiased content um, for people to try and consume, to to try and combat or put my money where my mouth is, right? I've been doing a, a podcast that has zero ads for 130 episodes now, right? I could have started making thousands and thousands of dollars on my podcast. Trust yeah. me. Right. Especially if I was just consistent a little bit or whatever, it's there. Instagram pages. I and I was the guy. Again, we even got checks at one point. We got some small checks, but we got checks from companies to wear their gear and promote it or whatever. So you want to know what you can do? Like, and again, I, you know, you hate to see I I would hate to see all the influencers that I know just, you know, dry up overnight and have to go do something else. But that's the answer. If they keep getting fuel on their fire, companies will always, there will always be a company to feed them a check and round and round and round we go. Yeah. We just got to change the thought process of like, I'm all about hunting. I, I mean, I'm all about talk. I love talking hunting. I mean, I could talk hunting 24 seven and not get sick of it. We, we just got to stop the end result being a dead and dying animal or, or placing value on a person's ability to put a dead animal in their feed. And I think the winners, like we just experienced, like you guys just experienced and the die offs, I, I think it has to get people thinking about how they influence people moving forward because this, this cannot last forever. You know, and, and, and one last thing, Jim, like, you know, I'll say like, when you reached out to me, if you remember, I was like, Hey, like, you know, I, I, I kind of knew generally what hunt quietly and it's in Matt, right. He's made enough waves in the industry. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I knew kind of general perspective you guys had and, and I'm, I'm, you know, if you can't tell I'm hundred percent on board with this, you know, there, there's some stuff that, that, you know, that I was like, Hey, like, I, I hope, you know, like I'm, I'm not, ex and, and where I'm going with this is like, um, you know, I, I, I don't, I think that social media is just a, it's just a tool, right? It's like a gun. If it's used for evil, then the person using it is a bad person. If it's used for good, then it's a good tool for someone to protect people or whatever. So 
I, I'm not, I don't demonize the social media itself. Obviously yeah. I'm on there. I'm heavy. I'm, you know, it's whatever, right? The podcasting, the, the YouTubes. I think these are great things. And if they're used for good, they're exponentially better than anything that they ever had 30, 40, 50 years ago or whatever. Right. Um, what a, a magazine, right. A print magazine, the, the, you know, and, and again, two edged sword, cause we all have a little, you know, broadcasting studio, so to speak, in our hand, you know, and, and we all can have our own TV show. Barrier to entry is that, gone. That's dangerous. Yeah, that's dangerous. And so just, you know, A, know that I'm not, I'm not condemning it. I use it. B, please be cognizant of what and why you're doing it and how you have to understand the power that you've been given with these phones and the internet and everything that we have and social media, free podcasts, right? My, like anybody, I'm living example. Anybody can start a podcast. I'm just some idiot, right? So please be aware of what you have that that's maybe the, you know, the, the, the other side to this is like, you have the power we have the power to collectively change this overnight. There's enough people, if enough people with the right mentality because of social media and because of the phones, we've seen it with these really good movements, the hunt or the, uh, you know, the, the muleys matter, right? Like, boom, yeah. like took off like wildfire because we had the technology to pass on the word or whatever. So anyway, it's, it's not good or bad. It is what it is. It, frankly, it just exposes us, right? Like it, I think it exposes you know, stuff that we've been doing for years, right? Putting up our brag board, you know, you know, photos at the, at the used to be the sportsman's warehouse. Now we just post them on our Instagram, whatever. So it's good. It's bad. It's both. It's not neither. It's just be, please be aware of what you have. Yeah. And, and I think like too, yeah, you had mentioned that, you know, maybe we're, we're not going to agree on everything and, and nobody's going to agree on everything, you know, but I think, the intent of having these conversations with a guy like yourself is just like, you know, we're all, we're not all perfect and we have our differences, but man, we're, we're just based on this conversation, we're moving in the same direction. We might not be on the same exact road, but we're, we're talking and we're moving in the same direction. And I think if, if I could think of like what I want to accomplish by having podcasts and talking about mule deer is that, bringing people together and that may appear to have differences, but we're all going in the same direction. And, and ultimately if it benefits the animal, then, then we're, we're on the same path. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, there, yeah, there's, there's a lot of other um, podcasts out there that I would not be on for sure. Um, <laughs> they probably wouldn't even ask me, uh, you know, so yeah, we're, trust me, we're in the, we're in the same camp and I, yeah. Anyway. Well, what's your winter like, look, what's your winter looking like this year so far? Well, uh, at least, you know, they, there was a pretty big couple few snowstorms that blew through mostly like, you know, Colorado, Utah area. And that I'm sure it's got everybody paranoid down there. Cause especially like North, Northeast Utah and Idaho and stuff. But so far, like, I think this kind of tri-state area, uh, Wyoming, you know, Idaho, and even north northeast Utah so far, it's been about on par with as good of a winter as you're ever going to get, right? We've had a couple of snowstorms. 
we're in the middle. We're just coming out of a big, a big nasty freeze that, you know, the typical, we, we get one to three of these every year in Northwest Wyoming. It seems like where it hits the negative twenties and feels like negative 40. And you can't believe that any animal could possibly survive it or whatever, but it's, we're coming out of it. And as long as it does this, where it, it, you know, it does it for three, four days and then warms back up to forties in the days, like it's going to like, you know, we'll be fine. And, and it can even handle, you know, one or two big snowstorms, I think, or three or whatever. So, so, so far so good. But if you remember last year, I mean, we got to literally this point right here last year and everyone was clueless. We had no idea what was coming. And then it just pounded like the, uh, the literal record breaking winter. So who, who knows? Like it's, <clears throat> it's too early to tell, but. Um, yeah. When I did those podcast series on mule deer last year, it, it was happening. Like I, I knew that mule deer are on dec- in, in the, in a decline. And so I wanted to do a series and talk to people from different states to get their perspective on like growing up out West and what hunting was like when they were kids and then what it's turned into now. And I, I, I knew the outcome. It was going to be dire. And then right before our eyes, like you said, that winter happened. So by the last episode, it was like some staggering die off statistics. So I hope to God, we don't have another, another winter like that. Or you guys don't rather. Yeah, I don't even know what would happen <laughs> if we if we duplicated last winter. Uh, you know, that, I guess the only bright side to that kind of talk is when we have bad winters in the northern hemisphere here. The you know everybody from you know m- you know central Utah and central Nevada down has the best years ever. You know <laughs> they're. They're, you know, they, they, you can't have too much weather, winter weather down there. It just gets better and better and their ponds fill up and they are finally out of a drought and all the good things that come from it. So that's the only, you know, glass half full mentality you can have, but hopefully we just are right in the middle. Yeah. I, I have uh seven or eight points in Wyoming that I don't know what I'm going to do with. I'm sort of in no man's land for deer. No, you're not man. Burn them. Come I, like, you know, doesn't take a genius to look at the points and know where I'm talking about, but there's, you know, if you're willing to do a little packing in and, you know, hiking and stuff like that, or rent llamas or whatever, yeah. um, man, there's, there's a good, there's as good of a unit as you're going to find. Cause you know, chasing region G, I don't think buys you much, um, honestly, like, and you'll be another, geez, might be another, you know, five years from where you're at. If there's no big point creeps, so I, I would, I can tell you what I do. The the only question, right. My brother's in this boat, he's a non-resident. And it's like, you know, the, the question is like, is it, you just get it over with this year and it's going to be just as good as it will be in three years because of the winter kill off, yada, yada, yada. Right. And he's, you know, my brother's kind of like, Oh, I think I might wait it out. Cause he's, you know, and he's got other tags and hunts in Utah and Nevada and stuff. So it's not like his one big thing and it might be your one big tag coming up, but you know, I, I still believe, uh, after hunting it for a winter, like, you know, guys could still go find 160, 170 inch deer in Wyoming. And I'm not saying that's, you know, it's almost like ironic after what we just talked about, but like, you know, depending on where you're at in the game, that's, that's okay. Right. Or whatever. So, but if you're looking for, 
you know, if you're looking for next level, it's, it's pretty dire here right now. Yeah. Um, so probably, probably not the year if you're looking for, you know, really want a chance at that 190, 200 inch buck or whatever. I don't know where you're at, but. Oh man. If I saw a 170, I, I wouldn't even. <laughs> yeah. And, and like I said, man, uh, the, the irony with this whole conversation is like the individual, you need to know where you're at in your head. Right. And, and if it's a 170 Western Wyoming, I think you can do it. I have yeah. no question in my mind, right? If you, if you're a little bit smart and, you know, put in a little work and can hike and get away from the roads and the, the people and even the trails themselves, like I think you go find your 170, no question. Yeah. The, the, <clears throat> the secrets out, like you said, region G, everybody knows if you do any research in Wyoming, you know, region G, we just right. need to, we need to stop giving more um, incentive to influencers to go to region G and <laughs> yes. you know, so that's kind of where I'm at, but um, <laughs> it's like, the, it reminds me of the, uh, the state of Arizona, ironically, didn't they, uh, they had this big uh, marketing propaganda to try to like create, um, you know, interest in their, probably their over the counter deal or whatever. And so they literally got on board with some big names like, you know, and they probably wrote some fat checks to these guys and it won't take much digging to figure out who I'm talking about. But yep. then it was like, all of a sudden it was like, oh crap, right? Like now it's like, oh, we we're, you know, we have too many people hunting or applying or we, you know, and it's like this mess down there where you can't even get a tag. And it's like, well, there's a very good little case study right there. <laughs> You're talking about Randy Newberg, right? Oh, I didn't say it. You did. <laughs> well, we, you know, specifically you said that we, my buddy lives in Arizona and we had him on, um, the podcast last year. It was, I guess it was after hunting season last year, but obviously before hunting season this year or in 2023. And, uh, he, he has an area and Randy went there and, had it on the show and didn't he showed some things that was that were very easy to identify and locate on the map so the unit was blown up and this year was even worse than it was in 2022 this past year and he's just pissed it's it's almost he's given up on the unit that's how bad it got yeah well and you know randy's just last one to do it i hate you know there's been dozens of others and even some that have been on my podcast i'll say like that you know didn't know what they were doing probably or didn't you know maybe they didn't care i don't know i think that they did inside but you know he randy wasn't the first and he won't be the last yep. to, you know show prominent peaks or you know make it obvious or even tell people where you're at or whatever right or but, a convenience store like What's he, that? He or a convenience store? <laughs> Did he? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's like the only convenience store in the whole damn unit. <laughs> <laughs> Just fueling up at the old loafing jug here. And yeah, yeah, right. It's like, oh man. Yeah, he's not the first. He's not the last. And and he he was on the podcast with Matt, and he he'd be the first to tell you like he's tried to do some cons conservation content, and he said it gets like five percent viewership that his his kills his kills do there you go so man we just got to change we got to change the minds and and uh hearts on this stuff 
Yeah. Well, and, and again, I, I, I'll, I'll circle back to something I said earlier, like, you know, again, the, most of these guys have full on production crews following them. I'm not stupid. Right. I understand the resources that Donnie Vincent has at his, at his fingertips now because of his deal. But like, we could all just take a little bit more responsibility on ourselves. Right. If, 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 in other words, if this is bad, then we all need to be responsible for posting up this, right? The good stuff, right? And so in other words, you know, do your best to make, you know, don't just post a kill shots or whatever, you know, go in, if you're going to go, if you're going to go put up content, whether you're an influencer or just a Joe Schmo or whatever, like, you know, just try, like try to portray, you know, show the camp life or, you know, talk about, you know, getting in shape or, you know, whatever, right. There's a million stories that you can tell, you know, Hey, I'm going with my brother and tell the story about, you know, how he got cancer or something. And now you're hunting together and it's epic. Like, like do your best, whatever you have, right. I hope your brother didn't have cancer, but you know, do your best with whatever story you have that isn't just the kill shot at giving us something that isn't entertaining. That isn't the kill shot. Right. In other words, just, you know, if, if we're all going to point fingers at the people that are doing it wrong, let's all try and do it right. You know, at least even on our, if whether we have five followers or 50,000 or whatever, you know. Right. No doubt. No doubt. So. Well, I guess we can uh, probably wrap it up there. So your your podcast is Finding Backcountry. Yeah, Finding Backcountry podcast. Don't, don't get married to a weekly release. Because <laughs> I'll let you down. <laughs> No, I've, I've been pretty good. And uh, yeah, man, I listen, I, I try to get on honest to goodness. I just try to bring value to listeners. Like I just try to get people on, um, you know, I'll be honest. You made me cut. Like it was a little uncomfortable talking about my businesses up front because when I have, (laughs) when I have guys come on that have a, like, I don't want to call it an ulterior motive, but like something that they want to promote, I usually make them wait till the end. I'm like, Hey, you're going to bring value. Like if we're going to do an hour, you're going to do 50 minutes of value and then you can pitch your thing. (laughs) So anyway, yeah, no, it's, listen, it's, it's a good podcast, man. I, I, I never listen to them after I record them. (laughs) I don't know if you're the same way. Um, but I'm not, I'm, I'm so anal about hearing myself that I listen to them afterwards. (laughs) <laughs> see, I hate hearing myself. So I don't listen. I'm like, Oh, you idiot. Like I do too. That? That's why I listen to him. Cause I can't stand, <laughs> I can barely stomach it. Yeah. Yeah. But no, listen, I, I, th- I think it's honest to goodness. I think it's just a good, pure podcast. Oh, I'll check it out heavily, now, man, for sure. <laughs> we're very heavily mule deer oriented. So, well, mule deer is despite my lack of hunting mule deer, it's by far my favorite big game species. I yeah, mean, they're just yeah. the coolest critters out there. Me too. Well, good deal, Dustin. Thanks for coming on, man. I, I, I appreciate it. And man, I'd like to have this conversation another year from now and kind of revisit where we're at. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. It's, you know, the crazy thing right now is everything is changing. So like, I don't know what COVID did, right. Or the, the, that whole summer that happened or whatever it is, but like the world just, it's like we just sped up and we haven't slowed down and things just, you know, again, it's, you see all these States making these massive 
dramatic changes. You know, Wyoming doubles their elk tag fee overnight. Utah does all these weird things for their deer hunts. And, and it's just, I mean, by next year, heck by next month, we'll probably have 14 new things to talk about. So yeah, it'll be, there's always something going on. <laughs> well, man, this has been awesome. I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Hey, listen, I, uh, I, uh, you can tell that we're both mule deer nuts. Cause it's like what Friday night, like, late here and way later where you're at and so that that tells it all <laughs> yeah i gotta be up early for a wrestling tournament tomorrow too my oh, son oh gosh so uh well listen i just i appreciate you coming on i uh and i don't i i want you know you know I, I hope it didn't come across as like well the world the sky's falling like we're all screwed and you know and, and i i don't think that it did but like you know, the good news is we've never like we've never had some of the resources and people behind these movements like we have right now. You know, the the caller studies and the again, the the good side of social media and the Internet and people moving the needle in the right direction and stuff. And so, you know, it, it it's, it's going to be fine, man. Like I said, <clears throat> you know, this wasn't about elk, but like let's hang our hat on the fact that like elk are doing extremely well like we said right so you know we're, we're you see projects with sheep happening where they're transplanting and some herds are doing really good so they can you know and they're just a lot of really good things are happening in general um you know in the wildlife mule there just happens to be in a little in a little funk you know this needs like we used to say in baseball terms, you need to, they need, mule deer need a slump buster, you know, yes. <laughs> need well, something to break out of this. And anyway, ho hopefully, um, yeah, hopefully it was a valuable episode. And I, again, I just appreciate the fact that you even wanted to listen to me ramble. So. Oh man, this has been awesome. I really enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, appreciate you contributing to Muley's Matter and your podcast. I'm going to check out and for sure. So, well, and the, listen, the last thing, like, you know, it's one thing for me to be a Wyoming guy who's right here in the heart of it, right? Supporting or doing my thing or whatever. Like, I think it, it says even more um, that a guy like you, like Pennsylvania guy, it, it's like, I, I can't imagine, you know, caring so much about like whitetail that I don't hunt or, you know, whatever that aren't right in my backyard, at least, Um and so it just, it goes a long way, man. Like coming from, you know, someone caring that's clear across the, the continent, you know, basically. And, and so that just, that's impressive to me. So. Oh man. Thanks. No, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. I, I, I want to contribute and I hope mule deer thrive, man. I, I want to see them. I, I hope it's, it returns to the 1960s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. All right. Well, good deal, man. I will, I will let you, you get your rest and I'm going to get ready for the wrestling tournament tomorrow. Okay. Get some, right? Yeah. All right, Dustin. Well, thanks again. Okay. And uh, we'll talk again for sure. Cool. Sounds good, Jim. Appreciate it. All right, Dustin. Thanks. Take care.